The God who said, let light shine out of darkness has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. So, amen. Praise the Lord for the light. If you have a Bible tonight, let me ask you to please turn to Romans chapter 12. Romans chapter 12. Uh, tonight, we are going to uh, continue our evening series on the concept of uh, worship. Uh, and we're going to talk about worship as a living sacrifice. Worship as a living sacrifice. But before we get there, let's bow our heads and lift our hearts to the Lord one more time tonight. Father, thank you again for tonight. Thank you for the mercies that you pour out upon us that are new every day. Thank you for the brothers and sisters whom you've gathered here tonight. Lord, I just pray you'd bless them, that your hand would be upon them in power, leading them and guiding them, uh, guiding all of us, Lord, in all that we do, in thought, word, and deed, to glorify the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Help us today, O Lord, to offer our bodies to you as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to you. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. David, in, in Psalm 139, he revels in God's uh, all-encompassing knowledge of him. Uh, if you remember, he says, where, shall I, where can I flee from your presence? If I go down to Sheol, you are there. If I go up to heaven, you are there. If I, go, if I fly to the deepest part of the, the farthest part of the sea, you are there. And he also says, he says, all my days in your book were written before there was even one of them. And he says, how, uh, how vast are your thoughts toward me, O Lord? They're like the sand of the sea. Who can count them? And in that beautiful psalm, what David is talking about is, is he's reveling in the fact that God sees and knows everything about him. And it is a glorious to him, a glorious and a beautiful thing that, that everything he does and, and, and every part of his life is not hidden from God, but God sees and God knows and God cares for him. Now, as I was thinking about that, um, it just kind of made me think, what if, what if Jesus, we know God is, is always present, but what if Jesus just, you know, Jesus just came into your house one day and he just starts following you around. And everywhere you go, Jesus goes. And he's just there. And he's just, you know, hanging out, just there with you watching. How would that make you feel? <laughs> A little uncomfortable, maybe. It's like, but, why, but, but as we think about it, it made me wonder, why would I feel uncomfortable with Jesus being around when the Bible says he's always there? He's always watching. He always sees. He always knows. But sometimes we act like he doesn't. But for David, this isn't a problem. This is a good thing. God is always watching. God always cares about everything from our rising to our sleeping. And of course, what that means for us is that every aspect of our life, every moment, every breath, every heartbeat belongs to the Lord and is meant to be offered to him as worship. As worship. So if you have a Bible and you're able and willing, please stand in honor of the reading of God's Word. And we're going to be looking tonight primarily 
from Romans chapter 12, beginning in verse 1. Paul writes, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. The word of God. You may be seated. So we see um, a couple things from this passage. And the first, or the, the clearest thing is this, is that Paul is exhorting us to renew our minds with God's word. To renew our minds with God's word. That is the first step. So Paul talks here about offering our bodies as a living sacrifice to God. And how then does he tell us to do that? Well, he tells us um, to do it by renewing our mind with God's word. And so when we looked at this passage actually a couple weeks ago, what we saw that is when, when Paul is saying that we offer our bodies as a living sacrifice to God, what he's, what he's saying is that the, God, the kind of worship that God desires is not a mere uh, rite and ritual. It's not animal sacrifices. It's not just going to a certain place at a certain time of the week, okay? But he's saying that the kind of worship God desires is the offering of our whole selves to God as a a living sacrifice. And he says, and that is your spiritual worship. So that the the worship that God really desires is the giving of our whole selves to him. That is not uh, killing animals and burning their bodies on an altar, but loving God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. Loving our neighbor as ourself. The wor- that's the kind of worship that God wants. To, to offer our lives to him in holiness and in godliness. For us to bear the burdens of other people, as we've talked about in Galatians. Providing for the needs of others. Upholding the weak. Preaching the true and pure gospel to a lost and dying world. It is the giving of our whole lives, all that we are, before all that he is. It is, it, is, it is to worship God, not in temples, but in our hearts, in our homes, on the street, in our workplaces, in the restaurants, in the coffee shops, at the campgrounds, at the beach. Anywhere and everywhere we go, we worship God. God, we, our bodies are yielded to him as a living sacrifice. But how do we do this? How do we, how do we then actually offer our whole lives to God as a living sacrifice? Because if you think about it, the Bible is sufficient, but it's not comprehensive. That is, the Bible doesn't, there's lots of things the Bible doesn't talk about. For example, the Bible doesn't talk about computers or refrigerators or air conditioning, which are all are nice things. <laughs> but the Bible doesn't talk about everything. And so what this means is that we have to think clearly through biblical principles and by the wisdom granted us by the Holy Spirit so that we can Offer our lives in every situation today in a way that pleases the Lord. So how do we offer our lives as living sacrifices to God? Paul tells us here. He, 
He says, first, um, first the, there's first a negative command and then a positive command. The negative command, first, Paul says, is this. He says, do not be conformed to the world. Do not be conformed to the world. Um, James says in James 1.27, he says, Religion that is pure and undefiled before God is this, to visit the orphans and the widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. That is that, as we talked about this morning, the world is constantly exerting pressure on us to fit you into its mold. The world says it's so tolerant, but it's really not. Because if you disagree with them, they become quickly intolerant of your views. The world is trying to force us into its mold. It's trying to conform us to its way of thinking. And so Paul says, do not be conformed to this world. Do not be conformed to this world. So the world is telling us, it's giving us a value structure. It's trying to tell us things that we should find important. Things that we should value, things that we should treasure, things that we should worship. And we, we, we worship what we treasure, what we value the most, we worship. If we think money will make us truly happy, then we will serve money to get as much of it as possible so that we can be happy. Because that's what everybody does. Everyone pursues happiness. And so, and if we don't get what we think will make us happy, we, we worry over it. We agonize over it. We get angry about it. And the world is telling us certain values, teaching us certain ways to think and saying, do this, seek this, you'll be happy if you have this. But God's word speaks a different word. In John 15, Jesus says, in verse 9, he says, as the Father has loved me, so I have loved you, loved you, abide in my love. And then in verse 11, he says, these things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. So think about what Jesus is saying. Because lots of people, I think, they don't get this. Lots of people think Christianity is, you know, they're just a bunch of grumpy prudes, right? That want to steal joy. But Jesus says, if you, ab- he, Jesus says, abide in my love. And then he tells us why he said this. He said, abide in my love because, he says, I've said these things to you because, so that my joy may be in you. And that your joy may be full. That is, Jesus is saying the world, the, that the world tells you to clamor and clamor after all these other things because that will make you truly happy. And Jesus says, look, abide in me and I will make you truly happy. I'll give you more joy than you can fathom. I'll give you uh, that your, your joy will be truly full, pure, holy, unspeakable, eternal joy with me. And so we're all faced with a decision then. We're all faced with a decision about whether we're going to accept, whether we're going to be conformed to the world and accept its way of looking at things, accept its value structure and pursue the things that it tells us to pursue or we're going to believe Jesus. And trust him that when he says that he's for our greatest possible joy, and if we pursue him, that we will find it in him, we have to decide which one, who we'll believe, who we're going to follow. Jesus said, whoever finds his life will lose it. But 
Whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. That is, that there's a way, there's a way of finding your life in this world that if you actually get it, you lose it. It's, 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 it's very common all the time. People who have reached the pinnacle of their discipline, the pinnacle of success, the pinnacle of fame, the pinnacle of power, and it left them empty inside. If you find your life, Jesus says, you'll lose it. But if you lose your life for my sake, you'll find it. So if we're going to offer our lives as a living sacrifice to God, we must not be conformed to this world. That is, that we must intentionally shape our hearts and our minds based around the truth of God's word. And this is important. It's important to understand, especially in our day and age, because, look, you have to understand that there's, no, there's nothing neutral. There's nothing in this world that has a neutral worldview. Uh, the secular world has, is, fr- frankly, itself deceived because they presume that they're neutral, but they're not. They have a particular view with which they view the world. That is, that everything's a cosmic accident, that truth is relative, that, um, that we're just highly evolved animals. And, um, and, and it's, 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 in, it's in everything they do. It's in everything they say, from the newscaster that's on TV to the movies you watch to what you read in your textbooks at school. It's all there. There is nothing neutral. Uh, Jesus said, whoever is, not a with me, whoever is not with me is against me, and whoever does not gather with me scatters. And so we have to be careful because if we're not guarding our minds against the, the prevailing view of the world, we will absorb it. We will begin to think the way the world thinks. We'll begin to value what the world values. And it doesn't happen intentionally, but, but, when you, but when you swim in this sea, it just it soaks into you. And so what we have to learn to do is we have to fill our mind with the truth of God's word. And that take, brings us to our next point. Paul says, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. That is, a Christian is someone who has been transformed up here. <laughs> Their mind has been changed from old to new, from death to life. That is that just as the whole world and society and culture is not neutral to God, the reason why it's not is because the Bible said there's there's no individual that is neutral to God. That is, all of us are actually against God. We are born against God, Ephesians 2, 1 through 3. Paul says we were dead in the trespasses and sins in which we once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. That's you, that's me, that's everybody. Before God came in. We all, no one is neutral against God. Towards God. That is why Paul in Ephesians 4 tells us to, verse 22, 
tells us to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds, and to put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. So you see, it's, it's all over the Bible. Because none of us is neutral to God, because all of us have the bent away from God and to self, what we need then is a new mind. We need to be renewed in our minds by the Word of God and by the Spirit of God so that we think in new ways. And Paul says here, he says, be transformed. Think about it. It's, it's, in the, it's passive, which means you're not doing the transforming. You're allowing something else to transform you. And what, and what he's saying, clearly what he's saying is that it's God. It is God that is going to come into our life and do the transforming. But at the same time, we recognize that this requires work on our part as well. Because Paul says, uh, be, uh, be renewed in the spirit of your minds. But in other places, he says things like, like take every thought captive to the lordship of Christ. Whatever is uh, pure, lovely, peaceable, uh, true, all those things, he says, think about these things. In other words, in other words, uh, God is telling us uh, that he's going to work in us, but at the same time, he's saying that we have to do the hard work as well of renewing our minds and testing our minds by the word of God. And that's what he talks about at the end, uh, second half of verse 2 here. He says, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. That is that before God comes into our life, we just... If a thought pops into our head, we just embrace it. We just assume that it's correct. I have people, I have people all the time, people say, well, you know, it just felt like the right thing to do. Well, just because it feels like the right thing to do doesn't mean it's the right thing to do. In other words, what the Bible was saying is that by nature, we all, all the time have thoughts and feelings that are not right and that are not true. And the part of being renewed of our mind and testing is that by the Spirit, what we're able to do for the first time in our lives is not just blindly accept everything that we hear and every thought that pops into our head and every feeling that we feel. But by the power of God, we are finally able to test by God's Word what is right and good and true. And so, you know, I'll just, yeah, I'll just give a kind of a silly example. Um, everybody in here maybe remembers high school. When you're in high school, you have a, you know, you ha- you have a crush. You have a crush on somebody. And I'll just let's just say it's a, it's a it's a teenage girl, okay? And she's a Christian. She's a Christian teenage girl. But right or wrong, even Christian teenage girls, when it comes to boys, their critical thinking capacity oftentimes is this. Oh my gosh, she's so cute. <laughs> so cute so cute okay so the reasoning capacity of a teenage girl is cuteness okay it's cuteness but i'm telling you ladies and every married person here can attest to this when you say i do to mr cute 
If Mr. Cute is also is not if Mr. Cute is not also Mr. Character, then that cuteness is going to wear off in about three hours. And then you have the rest of your marriage to deal with it. And so in other words, and we've all been there, you can have strong feelings, uh, romantic feelings for someone that you know are wrong. And you have to, and if you are a Christian and a teenage girl can, by the power of the Spirit, a Christian teenage girl can say, I have these feelings, but I know they're not right. So I'm not going to do what teenage girls do when they, and put, you know, and oops, I, I dropped my book right by his locker. Oh, gosh. Thank you for helping me pick it up. They're not going to do that because they know that their feelings are deceiving them. And so, it's just an example of what it means that you, when the Spirit is inside of you, you begin to think critically about your own thoughts and your own feelings. And you begin to test them by God's Word. And you can choose what you act on. You can choose what you believe because God is now empowering you to renew your mind by the Spirit. But see, this is totally different because Disney movies from the beginning of Disney have been telling our kids to follow your heart. And Jesus says, follow me. And you have to decide who you're going to follow. And so, Paul says, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. That by testing, you may discern what is the will of God. What is good and acceptable and perfect? You can. God has equipped us that in any and every situation and circumstance in life, that we, by the measure of his word, can test and examine things so that in every circumstance we will know what is pleasing and acceptable to him. And in that way, our entire life and every decision that we make becomes worship. So... The first thing when it comes to offering our whole lives as a living sacrifice is to be renewed in the spirit of our minds. And the second thing is this. And this um, comes from 1 Corinthians 10.31. And the second thing is, is the Bible teaches us that all that we do, we're to do to the glory of God. 1 Corinthians 10.31. So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. So... What, what we see when we read the Bible, and talking about this concept that our whole life is worship, what we see is that we're supposed to do everything for God's glory. Everything. Literally everything we do. Which is difficult in this world because uh, we have imbibed this idea that there, is, uh, that there are kind of two planes of, of, of reality. There's the... There's the values and the morals and the beliefs, which are in one part of our lives. And then there's like, you know, reality. <laughs> that's what the world teaches us. And, and you don't mix the two. In other words, there's a difference between what people call secular versus sacred. And you keep the sacred to yourself. And then only, only the quote-unquote secular can be brought into the public square. But that's, that's the complete opposite of what the Bible teaches reality is like. The Bible says... Everything that you do, 
do all to the glory of God. That is, that if you can't do it to the glory of God, you better not do it. And if you're doing it and you're not doing it to the glory of God, the Bible says it is sin. And so there is no such thing as a secular or sacred divide. There's no such thing as your public life versus your private life. You're supposed to be the same person everywhere you go. And you're supposed to do everything that you do, not just come to church for the glory of God, but Paul says whether you eat or drink, you do it to the glory of God. Whether you go to work, you do it to the glory of God. Whether you flip burgers, you flip burgers to the glory of God. You manage people to the glory of God. You build roads to the glory of God. Everything we do, we do to the glory of God. Think about it. When God made Adam, he made the garden and he put him in the garden and he told Adam to work and to keep. What does that mean? It means working and keeping the garden was going to be worship to God. Work is not a result of the curse. Work is a gift from God. I think we're going we're gonna to work in the new heavens and the new earth. The, the, the thing is, it'll actually be rewarding work. You won't go to work like we do today, and you feel like you work, 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 and you look at the end of the day, and you're like, my goodness, what, where did all the time go? What, I, nothing happened today. That won't, that won't happen in heaven. We'll work, 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 but we'll see the glorious fruit of our labors every time. Work is, not a, work is a gift from God, and therefore work is worship. So when we work then, what are we doing? We are fulfilling God's command to exercise dominion over the earth. So when you're offering goods or services in your business or you're building infrastructure or you're managing people, you are obeying God's command to exercise dominion over the earth. You are developing society and being a part of a, a, of a culture and, a, and, a, uh, and structures that are hopefully... in promoting human flourishing in the world and providing services that do good for people. And if you are a Christian, the Bible says that that is worship. Because if we can eat and drink to the glory of God, certainly we can work to the glory of God and do everything else to the glory of God. And the Bible teaches this in Ephesians 6, 5 through 8. Paul, talking to bondservants, said, Obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling, with a sincere heart, as you would Christ. Not by the way of eye service as people pleasers, but as bond servants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart, rendering service with a good will as to the Lord and not to man, knowing that whatever good anyone does, this he will receive back from the Lord, whether he is bond servant or free. You see, in like three or four different ways, he says, serve as you would Christ. Uh, serve as bond servants of Christ. Do the will of God from the heart. Working as to the Lord and not to man. This should change the way we work. You may... <laughs> your boss might not be your favorite person. <laughs> but the Bible says you work for God. And there is a way of working, Paul says, that is just to please people. But there is a way of working, Paul says, to please God. And that kind of work will be different. So, 
What Paul is saying is that we are to view our lives as spiritual wholes. We're not just Christians on Sundays and regular folks the rest of the week. Everything we do, we do to the glory of God. All, th- all reality is spiritual reality. God says that it is he who gives the power to obtain wealth. God gave Adam work to worship him. So that's just one example is work, but another example is school. We got some students in here, and um, if we're going to eat and drink to the glory of God, the Bible says we need to go to school for the glory of God. That is, and this is not just for students, but use the brain God gave you. See God in math and in science. Read, think, don't be lazy. God is the maker of it all. God's not scared of our science textbooks. He's the one who ordained that there would be gravitational, nuclear, and magnetic forces. See God in your English class. Why? Because God speaks in human languages. And critical reading abilities is basically all I do every Sunday. Is I open this book... And use critical reading to, to ask, what is God trying to say? So yes, language matters. English matters. Literature matters. Because God speaks through language. Knowing the structure and flow of writing and of argumentation helps you understand the complex and rich thought that the Bible has. So, so there's another example of doing all to the glory of God is being Christian thinkers. Lots of people today, some of the high-minded cultural elite, they just, they think, they won't say it out loud, but they think Christians are just a bunch of backwoods crazy folk, and they don't even know the half of it, <laughs> okay? But the truth is, is that wherever, and of course, you know, people always edit history to suit their own, their own agenda, but wherever Christians have gone, they have always promulgated learning, Throughout the history of the church, everywhere they went, they built schools and they built hospitals. They built schools and they taught people to read. Why? So they could read God's word. The Lord only knows how many societies and cultures and tribes are literate now only because Christians went there. The Lord only knows. They don't don't like to admit it, but Harvard, Yale, Princeton, and Dartmouth were all started by Christians. To promulgate the gospel. Anyone who thinks Christians are dumb, I challenge you to read Jonathan Edwards. If you can read him. He is well uh, attested even by non-Christians to be one of the most brilliant minds America has ever produced. And so, as Christians... If we're going to offer all of our lives as living sacrifice, we must do all of it. Our life, our eating, our drinking, our work, our minds. Think. Read. And of course, you know, I'm, I'm big on this, but, but I just urge you, my dear brothers and sisters, read good books. Read good Christian books. Don't, don't tell me, Pastor, I don't read. Don't tell, you do read. You read the menu at the restaurant. You read Sports Illustrated. You read the, 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 
the, the newspaper. You read. Some of you women, you read Amish romance novels. <laughs> Which are better than the other romance novels. But look, there are better things you can read. Read good Christian books that teach you deep things about God that help you think critically about the world. So we see that the Bible teaches that all of life is worship. From our rising to our laying down. From eating our breakfast in the morning to uh, eating lunch at work to eating supper with our family. All of life is worship. The way we think, the way we speak, the way we treat other people. We're serving God and not man. And that changes the way we live in the world. And when we live that way, look, people will notice. And people will see. And people will say something's different about this person. And they'll see that, they'll see that Something has really made a difference in your life when you live it, when you own it. We don't just hide it. Don't just kind of walk, step out of the church building and then put your, 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 your secular self on. Then when you come in the church, you take that off and you put your spiritual self on. But you are one integrated whole living your life out for God. That is worship. And so tonight, I urge you, I urge me, I urge all of us to do all for the glory of God. And tonight, um, I, I, I just always give this appeal. If there's anyone in here who does not know the Lord, you don't know the joy of living all of life as a living sacrifice. You can know it today through Jesus Christ. Think about it. I, just, just think about it for a minute. When we fit our life into God's story then all of a sudden, everything changes. So many people are just, they're, getting, they're just trying to get by today. They're just trying to just, to, they're just, trying to just make it through. And, and day after day is just monotonous and it's boring. But the Christian life, it imbues everything with eternal weight and glory. Now, I'm not just trying to get through today, but every person that I meet is a soul that will live forever. And every thought that I think is now either pushing me to God or away from God. And every work that I do is, that, is either a work that is done to the glory of God that will uh, glorify Him at the last day. Or it is work that is just a wasting time that's done for myself that the Bible says will burn away and won't go to my account. Everything in life takes on eternal weight and importance because everything in life is about God. When we know him. And so I appeal to you tonight to know Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ, to know God through him, through faith in him. And you can know this joy. I, with Jesus, I say to you, these things I have said that Christ's joy may be in you. And that your joy may be 